So uh, I've been uh, out uh, preaching elsewhere this last couple of weeks, the King's House in Edmonton. Tony Peters came here, preached a few weeks ago. Senior pastor did a great job, and it was lovely for Fliss and myself to go back there. And, and you know, God is just so gracious. He does these extraordinary little things that just affirm and confirm that he is with us. So for example, we went to the King's House, and uh, I had quite a strong sense that I should preach on one of the Apostle Paul's prayers. It's a bit of a mouthful. One of the Apostle Paul's prayers out of the book of Ephesians in the first chapter. And I I felt quite strongly about that. So I went there and stood up and did my thing. And uh, there was a kind of a slight gasp. And I thought, ooh, did I say something wrong? And in fact, I said something right. Because at the beginning of the year, Um, the Lord spoke to this church and and gave them this self-same passage, unbeknownst to me, as a key interpretive passage for them for this year. And they hadn't told me that. And so that was just an extraordinary thing. I'm still a bit gobsmacked now. Then last week I was in Reading and a lovely girl called Meg stepped up during the notices and gave a, told a little story about having an opportunity to pray. She's a teacher, a primary teacher. And she had an opportunity to pray for one of her colleagues in the staff room that, uh, about three or four weeks previously. And this poor colleague, who, who was not, a, not somebody who believes in healing or anything, but was just desperate. She was in such pain. And knowing that this young lady, Meg, um, you know, was a Christian and, and believed in healing prayer, the healing prayer of Jesus, In desperation, she said, would you pray for me? I've got steel rods in my back, but I'm in agony and have been for the last 10 days. I'm absolutely beside myself. She was in tears and all the rest of it. So having been invited to pray, dear Meg prayed for her, and guess what? God took the symptoms away then. I don't know that steel rods fell out of her back, but God took the symptoms away then. And this was with, with, with the deputy head hovering in the kitchen where they were doing this, making a cup. It was all very awkward and very not spiritual, but God did it. And I thought, what an amazing story. I get up to speak, and I'm telling another story, bragging on the Lord Jesus and you guys a bit. And I said, well, this person, I was telling a story about, about the situation we'd prayed into where God had blessed and healed. And I said, well, the person was a bit like, like Meg there. And then I just started to describe the sort of situation, circumstances, and, and what have you. Halfway through my story, Meg gets up and runs out and bangs, crashes through the doors at the back. And I thought, what is going on there? I thought, oh my goodness. Afterwards, I was surprised to see her there because she looked upset. And I said to her, I said, Meg, I, I'm, you know, when I got a chance, I sidled. I said, Meg, I, I, I don't know what I said, but you were clearly upset. And she said, I wasn't upset. I was just frightened. And I said, you were frightened? She said, because you pointed me out saying, just like Meg there, and then you described a set of circumstances in my life which were identical to the one that you then went on to tell about. And I thought... God is in this place, and I was just freaked out. I thought, wow, how, how cool is that? You know, God is at work. God is at work in his church. God is doing things. The day of the supernatural God has not ended, and we just better live with it, okay? He wants to be supernatural sometimes. We're gonna let him be supernatural, okay? God is at work. And that really brings me into my topic for today, the 
I think it's the seventh in the series. We're using Tim Keller's series, Gospel in Life, as our sort of skeleton for these talks. And, and there was a little bit of a slow start with them, I know that. I, I could see people were kind of working it out and trying to get their head around it, but it's really picking up now. We're getting fantastic feedback from, from yourselves and the life group leaders. And, really are beginning to get into it. And basically this series, over the course of the eight weeks, and if you've missed one or two, I do encourage you to plug the gaps by listening to the podcasts. You don't unfortunately get the films, and we are showing these little 10-minute films in the middle of the talk, so you really have to be here to see that. But, But basically this is a series where we're looking at the gospel in life, the whole of life, every part of our life. We started off looking at ourselves, beginning with us. Then we started looking about how we function in the community, and, and, and now we're beginning, and it sort of started last week with Denise with talking about you know, uh, community, and, and uh, sorry, what did you talk about last week, Denise? Witness, thank you. I had a mental block then. And uh, witness, yes, how we, how we become this city on a hill, this community of life, and today I'm gonna talk about work. Work, my. This is an area where there is a lot of energy at the moment. I I was uh, getting a haircut this week, and um, the hairdresser is a Latvian atheist, delightful chap, and every time I go there, I have conversations with him about Jesus. He raises it, and uh, he is moving slowly along this kind of Continuum, this line towards faith. It's, it's amazing to see. I'm not slamming the gospel with him, but I, every time I go there, I feed something to him. And, and he is so ignorant of the church, so ignorant of the gospel, that he doesn't know when he should agree with me or when he shouldn't agree with me. He's just, just being normal. And at the end of this haircut this week, we got to the point where he, believed, where he said... We need a little mystery in life. That's a great point. It's not just what we see. You know, you hear people say, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. But he's at that point now, he said, we need a little bit of mystery in life. And the other thing that he said, he kind of reflected, he said, and you know what? We all believe in something. And he went on to say, even people who say they don't believe, they believe in something. And I nodded, I thought, that's great. I said, can we get on with my haircut now? <laughs> and uh, man, time was flying, you know. But the, you know, God is at work, and in, in the whole of our life. I, I met a friend of mine in the supermarket this week, just grabbing a few groceries after work. And uh, five years ago when I met him, he was a company director of five companies. He's now working for a double glazing company and f- in fear of his, his job. And you know, that may not be your story, but that is, that is where some of us are living. Two and a half million people hit the streets. Was it last weekend or the weekend before? Because they are afraid about the, the, the situation, the, the, the cuts, the austerity measures. And, and if you're in the public sector, afraid of your jobs, for your jobs. There's a lot of fear about this whole work thing. There aren't too many people, and count yourself lucky if you are one, but there aren't too many people who leap out of bed in the morning and say, oh, great, off to work. Now, some do, and some days I'm like that. Not every week or day, but some days I'm like that. This morning was one of those days. I was looking forward to being with you and worshiping with you. But not every day is like that. 
There is a lot of energy, and not all of it positive, about our whole work situation and our relationship with work. And I want to say this right at the beginning. At the, when we come to the ministry time in 30, 40 minutes, when I dismiss for, for coffee, and, and some of you consider going forward for prayer ministry, I particularly want to invite you to come forward for prayer if work at the moment is a source of great stress, or if a lack of work is a source of great stress, or if you're in a time of transition, moving from one job to another, if you're considering resignation, if you're trying to start up a business, or if you're just a hard-pressed mum who, who spends her time wondering how other men and women get through raising kids when you're struggling. So those, you know, Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I was reading this morning, in the, the other week, uh, during the week rather, in the Psalms, where it describes God as our dwelling place. And I've been trying to think about that and what does that mean, how does that work? So, so if, you, if your life at the moment, if the work you do, be it paid or unpaid, is causing you stress, and I, I, I'm genuinely not wanting you know, 400 people to come forward, you know, but it may be the case, we have to live with that. But if, we're in that, if you're in that place, I want you to know that God knows, God cares, and so do we, okay? Right, having said that, work is God's idea. God is a worker. God is a worker. Let's just look at Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Start of the book is the first thing that God says, actually. I, I, I love it. I was reading it again this morning, and it got me all sort of energized and excited. The first verse of the first chapter of the first book, Genesis, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God's brooding, considering this, looking at this. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God's first words were worker words, let there be light. Let there be light. Work is his idea. Work is his idea. And what's more, he has made man, woman, the worker too. This isn't as a result of what we call the fall, and I'll say more of that in just a moment. But man is a worker too. Genesis chapter two, verse 15, before this thing we call the fall, where it all goes pear-shaped, belly up, call it what you will, the wheel drops off. Genesis 2:15, it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It is good for us that we work. We are made to work. It's meant to be part of what we do. But then, as I've already alluded, then came the fall. Now the fall was that occasion when we decided that although God has said do not do this, do not do that, we thought we knew better. We decided not to take God's counsel or heed to his commands. We decided that we could do a better job without him. We wanted to be like God's ourselves. And so 
We, and we have all done this, regardless of when this place or this event took place or whether or not it took exact, happened exactly the way as described here. We have all taken up that position at some point or another where we have thought we know best. I'm going to do it my way. And we've got ourselves into an extraordinary pickle. The staff had a, we had a training thing on Wednesday and we were listening to a talk by Andy Stanley and he said something very interesting and it kind of ties in with this, I thought I'd mention it. But he said, Andy Stanley said, Take, lift your hands like this, everybody just do this, okay? Now, pinch your first finger and thumb together like that, okay? Wiggle it about a bit. That means that you're a primate. Say, I am a primate. Look at your partner and say, I'm a primate. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. <laughs> That's an incredibly important thing. Because with the intelligence that God has graced us with, and with this opposing finger and thumb, there's an extraordinary creative tension. My finger is pressing hard against my thumb. And because I can do that, that means I can grip things. I can make things. I can apply my intelligence to the mechanics of my physique, and I can begin to create and make my own environment. Now, they say dolphins are as intelligent as us, but they haven't got a finger or thumb. So they do not have that opposing and creative tension there in their body in that way, and they cannot create tools, they cannot progress. So they just swim around in the sun, jump and squeak and have sex. Sounds pretty good to me, really. <laughs> Maybe I prefer to be a dolphin. <laughs> How did I end up with this thumb? <laughs> They're as intelligent as us, but they do not have the means to create. So they get to play and we get to work. <clears throat> now seriously though, if you lose your thumb, you're in trouble. An element of the creative potential that we have is lost, it's serious. And when we decided we didn't need God's commands, when we decided we didn't need his his direction, when we decided we knew best, when we walked away from the, from the loving, creative tension that his law brought, then all hell quite literally broke loose. And we today, moving quickly on, we're called now, post our dear Lord Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus who is the son of God. Jesus who died for the sins of the world. Jesus who undid the works of the enemy. Jesus who brought in again the reign and rule of God. Jesus who models to us and is the man that we and the woman that we were meant to be. Jesus who now brings not only forgiveness but heralds in his new kingdom through the church, through the witness of the community. Thank you, Denise. We, the church, are called to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. The solution, not part of the problem. And even though, getting pastoral here, even though you and I, for various reasons, may be struggling with the issue of work, we've got to look for ways to redeem work. 
We can't just say, well, I do church on Sundays, I go to life group on Wednesdays, and the rest, don't ask me about the rest. Because God is a worker. God wants to redeem work. Issues of fairness, justice, righteousness are his issues. I know some of the things that some of you are dealing with. Injustice, unfairness, unfair dismissal, shenanigans in the city when, when all kind of due process is, is ignored and you're just given a cardboard box and told to leave the building in 30 minutes and they can do it because they got a slush fund and that's how they cope with it. I, I mean, all this carrying on. Speaking to a businessman yesterday has just been swindled out of 250,000 pounds by somebody claiming to be a Christian and has had to go into bankruptcy. Man, we have got to redeem this thing we called work. I'm gonna hand over to our dearly beloved Tim Keller now for the next 10 minutes, who's gonna give us some wonderful teaching and some meaty and challenging teaching, I must say, but something that might help us with that. Thanks, guys. Number of things uh, that just came out of that for me, but perhaps the last one is, is as good as any to take away with us. And that's quite simply that, you know, who are we working for? For our boss? For ourselves? Or are we working indeed for the Lord himself? And, and that challenge there to do our work as if we are, you know, regardless of whether anybody is observing us, but to do it in a way that is honoring to God. And in our relationships and the way we interact with others, in a way that honors them. And what was the expression? Allows people to flourish. That's a challenge. That's something to think about, something to take with us. Let's all stand now. Heavenly Father, so many of us are under pressure in this whole area of work, but thank you for the reminder that work is your idea, that you are the worker and you call us to cultivate the garden, whatever that means for us. Thank you that there is a dignity, an inherent dignity in anything that we do and call work. And thank you, Lord God, that you have a vision to redeem it all. May we walk and work in that. In Jesus' name. Amen.